European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 43, Issue 9, Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathy, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. New Insights into Predictors, Mechanisms and Epidemiology of Heart Failure. This issue opens with The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2021, Cardio-Oncology by Jörg Herrmann from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA, and colleagues. The authors note that publications in cardio-oncology have increased exponentially over the past two decades. This contribution covers the most recent and relevant studies in this field over the outlined time frame. Several consensus documents have been released. Several population-based studies outline the burden and uniqueness of cardiovascular diseases, or CVD, in patients with cancer, and clinical and basic science work provided important new data on mechanisms, diagnostics, surveillance, and management of cancer therapy-specific cardiovascular toxicities. The issue continues with a focus on heart failure, or HF, and cardiomyopathy. In the viewpoint entitled, Atrial Disease and Heart Failure, a Common Soil Hypothesis, proposed by the Heart Failure Association of the European Society of Cardiology. Andrew Coates and colleagues from the University of Warwick in the UK note that abnormal atrial structure and function, also termed atrial myopathy or atrial disease, is common in patients with HF and may be an integral aspect of its development. A frequent clinical consequence of atrial disease is atrial fibrillation or AF that is also closely linked with HF with a bidirectional relationship, the one increasing the likelihood of and worsening the prognosis of the other. The aim of this article is to summarize the deliberations of a dedicated workshop of experts brought together by the Heart Failure Association of the European Society of Cardiology. The authors aim to provide a conceptual framework for the medical community to consider atrial disease as a manifestation of the HF syndrome and also discuss the gaps in evidence concerning the epidemiology, diagnosis, and management of this entity. In the healthy heart, cardiac output varies to match the body's circulatory demands. When cardiac output increases, ATP demand increases, and this must be matched with ATP supply to allow normal contractile performance. A mismatch between ATP delivery and supply may be the common pathway underlying systolic dysfunction. Of note, insufficient energy supply, as measured by a reduced myocardial phosphocreatin stroke ATP ratio, or PCR stroke ATP, and reduced ATP delivery through creatine kinase, or CK, has been linked to mortality in dilated cardiomyopathy. However, cardiac dysfunction could also occur if the efficient conversion of ATP into contractile force is impaired. In a clinical research article entitled Obesity Modifies the Energetic Phenotype of Dilated Cardiomyopathy, Jennifer Rayner and colleagues from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom sought to determine if myocardial energetics could distinguish obesity cardiomyopathy as an entity distinct from dilated cardiomyopathy. 16 normal weight participants with dilated cardiomyopathy, or DCM normal weight, and 27 with DCM and obesity, or DCM obese, were compared with 26 normal weight controls. 
All underwent cardiac magnetic resonance imaging and spectroscopy to assess function and energetics. 19 DCM obese underwent repeat assessment after a dietary weight loss intervention. ATP delivery through CK flux was 55% lower in DCM normal weight than in normal weight controls, P equaling 0.004, correlating with left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, P equaling 0.015. In contrast, despite similar LVEF, DCM obese 41 plus or minus 7%, DCM normal weight 38 plus or minus 6%, P equaling 0.14, CK flux was twofold higher in DCM obese, P being less than 0.001 due to a higher rate through CK, P equaling 0.002. During increased workload, the normal weight controls heart increased CK flux by 97%, P being less than 0.001. In contrast, CK flux was unchanged in DCM normal weight and fell in DCM obese, by greater than 50%, P being less than 0.001. Intentional weight loss was associated with positive left ventricular remodeling, with reduced left ventricular end diastolic volume by 8% P being less than 0.001, and a change in LVEF, 40 plus or minus 9% versus 45 plus or minus 10%, P equaling 0.002. This occurred alongside a fall in ATP delivery rate with weight loss, by 7% P equaling 0.049. The authors conclude that in normal weight, DCM is associated with reduced resting ATP delivery. In sharp contrast, in obese DCM, ATP demand through CK is greater, suggesting reduced efficiency of energy utilization. Dietary weight loss is associated with significant improvement in myocardial contractility and a fall in ATP delivery, suggesting improved metabolic efficiency. This highlights distinct energetic pathways in obesity cardiomyopathy which are different from DCM and may be reversible with weight loss. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Gabor Chibik, Thomas de Umier and Geneviève de Roumont from the Université Paris-Est-Créte UPEC in France. The authors conclude that the study by Rainer et al. provides much needed valuable insight into human obesity DCM a highly prevalent disease burden in our society, yet it leaves some important questions unanswered. Despite the importance of the myocardial PCR stroke ATP ratio and CK flux, alone they cannot explain the complex pathophysiology underlying the concept of the obesity paradox in DCM. Indeed, many confounding factors, such as secretory function of adipose tissue and the functional status of other metabolic organs, liver and skeletal muscle, may play important roles in the pathogenesis and progression of DCM. In addition, it's not yet clear whether the myocardial PCR stroke ATP ratio and CK flux are sufficient to decide on an optimal treatment strategy. There is a long way ahead to better define patient groups before the key observations of this elegant study by Rayner and colleagues can be translated into clinical recommendations. These caveats notwithstanding, the editorialists congratulate the authors on their inspired achievement and drawing the attention of clinicians to the importance of the myocardial energetic phenotype in metabolic disorders. 
HF is a malignant condition with poor outcomes and is often diagnosed on emergency hospital admission. Natriuretic peptide, or MP testing in primary care, is recommended in international guidelines to facilitate timely diagnosis. In a clinical research article entitled Long-Term Trends in Natriuretic Peptide Testing for Heart Failure in UK Primary Care, a cohort study, Andrea Roalf and colleagues from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom aim to report contemporary trends in NP testing and subsequent HF diagnosis rates over time. They used linked primary and secondary care data of adult, greater than or equal to 45 years, patients in England from 2004 to 2018, greater than 7 million, 48% male, to report trends in NP testing and HF diagnosis rates. NP testing rates increased from 0.25 per 1,000 person years in 2004 to 16.88 per 1,000 person years in 2018. Women and different ethnic groups had similar test rates, and there was more NP testing in older and more socially deprived groups as expected. The HF detection rate was constant over the study period, approximately 10%, and the proportion of patients without NP testing prior to diagnosis remained high, 99.6% in 2004 versus 76.7% in 2017. The authors conclude that MP testing in primary care has increased over time, with no evidence of significant inequalities, but most patients with HF still do not have an MP test record prior to diagnosis. More MP testing in primary care may be needed to prevent hospitalisation and facilitate HF diagnosis at an earlier, more treatable stage. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Antoni Baez Genes from the Universitat Autonoma de Barcelona in Spain and Andrew Coates from the University of Warwick in the UK. The authors conclude that the results of this study suggest that the Peptide for Life initiative should be expanded to not only the emergency department but also the primary care setting to comply with the essence of the universal definition of HF. Now is the right time to promote, with the support of ESC-HFA member countries, a Peptide for Life advocacy-educational campaign in primary care, adapted to local healthcare organisation characteristics, with active participation of all involved healthcare providers. Preterm birth, gestational age less than 37 completed weeks, is an important public health problem worldwide, affecting nearly 11% of all births or 15 million births each year. Preterm birth has been associated with higher long-term risks of chronic health disorders, not only in the offspring, but also in the mothers. Women who deliver preterm have been reported to have higher future risks of hypertension, ischemic heart disease, stroke, or premature mortality, even after controlling for other risk factors. However, preterm delivery has rarely been examined in relation to long-term risk of HF. In a clinical research article entitled Preterm Delivery and Long-Term Risk of Heart Failure in Women, a National Cohort and Co-Sibling Study, Casey Crump and colleagues from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, USA, examined these risks in a large national cohort. More than 2 million women with a singleton delivery in Sweden during 1973 to 2015 were followed up for inpatient or outpatient HF diagnosis through 2015.
Cox's regression was used to compute hazard ratios, or HRs, for HF associated with pregnancy duration, adjusting for other maternal factors. Co-sibling analyses assess for confounding by shared familial, genetic and or environmental factors. Within 10 years after delivery, the adjusted HR was 2.96 for HF associated with preterm compared with full-term delivery. Stratified HRs were 4.27, 95% confidence interval 2.54 to 7.17 for extremely preterm, 3.39 for moderately preterm, 2.70 for late preterm and 1.70 for early term. These HRs were not explained by shared familial factors. The authors conclude that preterm and early term delivery are associated with markedly increased future hazards for HF, which persist after adjusting for other maternal and familial factors and remains elevated 40 years later. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Katia Prokshea from the University Medical Center Ljubljana in Slovenia and Margarita Brida from the University Hospital Center Zagreb in Croatia. Brokshaya and Breeder conclude that pregnancy-related issues are not routinely considered in a clinical cardiovascular assessment, and physicians seldomly seek pregnancy-related history. To gain a comprehensive understanding of patients' health status, improved risk stratification, and target interventions to prevent cardiovascular disease in women, medical records and initial history should include relevant pregnancy-related information. Current and rapidly growing knowledge should be translated into clinical practice. Such information could help initiate patient counselling and anticipatory screening to reduce long-term cardiovascular risks in women of all ages. Acute HF or AHF admissions impose a substantial economic burden on the family and community. Data on the burden of AHF admissions, practice patterns and outcomes are rare from India, where one-fifth of the world population resides. In a clinical research article entitled The Cardiology Society of India Kerala Acute Heart Failure Registry Poor Adherence to Guideline-Directed Medical Therapy Stiggy Joseph and colleagues from the Little Flower Hospital and Research Centre in Angamalai Erukulam, Kerala, India aim to describe the baseline characteristics, guideline-directed medical therapy or GDMT prescribing patterns and 90-day mortality rates in patients admitted with AHF in Kerala, India. The Cardiology Society of India-Kerala Acute Heart Failure Registry, or CSI-KHFR, is an observational registry from 50 hospitals in Kerala, India, with prospective follow-up. Consecutive patients with AHF who consented to participate were enrolled. The 2016 European Society of Cardiology criteria were used for the diagnosis of AHF. Kaplan-Meier survival analysis and Cox proportional hazard models were used for data analysis. The variables in the MAGIC risk score were used in the multivariable model. A total of 7,507 patients with AHF, 37% female, participated in the CSI-KHFR. The mean age was 64 years. More than two-thirds had reduced LVEF. Nearly a quarter of patients with HF with reduced LVEF received GDMT. Overall, in-hospital and 90-day mortality rates 
were 7% and 11.6% respectively. Prescriptions to different components of GDMT were independently associated with 90-day mortality. The authors conclude that only one of four patients received GDMT in Kerala. AHF mortality is independently associated with GDMT initiation. Thus, quality improvement initiatives that focus on increasing GDMT prescription may improve the survival of HF patients in India. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Fayez Zanad from the Université de Lorraine Van Deuve-Lenancy in France. Zanad notes that the conclusions of Stigi et al. are particularly accurate in terms of the need for affordable quality care. Low- and medium-income countries have an urgent need for financial support, particularly where there are high patient out-of-pocket costs, low GMT prescription rates, and infrequent use of costly medicines and implantable devices. Health systems and political initiatives to enhance primary prevention of cardiovascular disease are also needed. Regulations to reduce sodium content in packaged food and use of nutrition labelling can be highly cost-effective approaches as can taxation and media campaigns to reduce smoking. The healthcare community can advocate for lower-cost medications and improve access to care. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, Periprocedural Myocardial Infarction, Multiple Definitions and Still a Quest for Consensus. Johnny Nicholas Gennaro Giustino and George Dangas from the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York and colleagues comment on the recent publication Prognostically Relevant Periprocedural Myocardial Injury and Infarction Associated with Percutaneous Coronary Interventions a consensus document of the ESC Working Group on Cellular Biology of the Heart and European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions or EAPCI by Hiraj Narain Bullock from the Norwich Medical School in Norfolk, UK. Bullock and colleagues respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.